This episode of African Tech Conversations is brought to you by GoDaddy. Buy your own domain name, build your site, or use any of GoDaddy's business tools and save 30% at trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech. That's trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech. Simon Carpenter is Chief Technology Officer at SAP Africa. In his rather long and varied career at SAP, he's been a massive proponent of digital transformation and its role in enabling self-sufficiency, inclusiveness, and sustainable economic growth on the continent. Now, Simon's also passionate about helping executives understand how SAP can help them drive their innovation and digital transformation agendas. This is African Tech Conversations. Uh, with a surname like Carpenter, I'm hoping you're handy with a bevel, a hammer, some nails, some woodworking in your life somewhere. Please, please, please make this dream happen for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to make a business out of being a cabinet maker, but I have fixed the odd chair, table and whatever. And of course, the crowd goes wild. <laughs> Fantastic. We're talking just off mic now about um, labels and the their importance or in or the lack thereof um you are chief technology advisor at sep africa tell me what you like about that label and what grinds you about that label so so what i I like about the label is that it really is uh, important in a world that's being more and more driven by technology to to be able to do what i do which is understand where in some degree of depth, where the world's going, what these new technologies mean, and then think about how they uh, can help our our customers to do a better job of being competitive. I think it's fair to say SAP is a global behemoth at this point. And uh, I'm curious to know what uh, role the African market uh, plays in terms of the global strategy for this business, in terms of growth, in terms of where you might see the world going and what you've, you've just said. Okay, so, so firstly, let me unpick what you just said. Behemoth implies uh, two things. It implies very large, and that we certainly are. But it also implies to a certain extent that this, you're not flexible, you're not agile, and that is not true. You know, I, I've been at SAP now for 22 years, um, and, and if I look at what we're doing today and I look at some of the projects we're running worldwide, and I'll come back to Africa in a moment, we, we are behaving in a very agile fashion. We are very, very conscious of the fact that what made you successful yesterday is not necessarily going to make you successful tomorrow. And that is as true for us as a global behemoth as it is for any of our customers in Africa. So we're very, very conscious of the fact that whilst you know today we have a significant advantage in the marketplace, it can't be taken for granted. We have to continually uh, deliver value to our customers across all the segments and industries that we focus on. And most importantly, we have to help them figure out how do we use all these wonderful new technologies that are at our disposal and weave them into the fabric of their business so they can be successful. Whether they're you know, in a private sector environment where success means delivering you know, value to shareholders, delivering value to customers, or whether they're in the public sector where success means using the resources you have at your disposal to deliver better services and, and um living environments to your citizens, uh, whether that be at a national government level or, or at, uh, in an urban area or a metro. 
So with these conversations I have uh, with um, uh, thought leaders within, you know, Africa's tech ecosystem, I tend to go from, you know, when you were younger all the way up to where you are now. I'm going to ask you to to think backwards with me and let's let's take steps. Let's go downstairs, if you would, <laughs> to your past. Into the basement of my past. Into the basement of your past. Picking up on something you just said, the implication that being a behemoth and, you know, it implies that you 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 might have this huge advantage that you might take for granted and and assume you know as an advantage forever i want you to think of a time in your career where you might have done that to your detriment where you might have assumed an advantage and you might have rather not done so i don't know if you understand my question yeah i think i i, I think i do i mean i i think back to my my early days, even my early days at SAP, and uh, if, if you go back to the mid 1990s, when the uh, whole the, the business side of things was very focused on business process reengineering, and you had Hammer and Champy and Davenport and all of these gurus talking about BPR and helping companies to understand that it was really about trying to run an end-to-end business process that delivered a valuable outcome either to someone else in your organization or to your customers. And uh, once uh, the, the mavens within the organization got this BPR notion and they started to understand that you needed systems to actually execute on that end-to-end process, uh, and, and that's when they started turning towards things like ERP platforms, such as those delivered by SAP, to get that done. Now, for us as SAP at that time, uh, we were – arguably one of the first organizations out there to deliver on the ERP notion in terms of, of an integrated system. And we grew very, very rapidly. And back in those days, I do recall once or twice, you know, engaging with customers and uh, not just me, but some of the people around me getting a little bit cocky, you know, and thinking there is no other choice but SAP. We're the, we're the leaders, we're the winners here, we're, we'll help you win. And it was quite sobering at times to realize that there were other competitors out there who were able, by being more humble, were able to sometimes outmaneuver us. And so when you think back to that time in, in SAP's history and time in your life, you know, what would you say stands out in terms of people you looked up to uh, in, in terms of mentorship uh, and perhaps some of the, the influences that would maybe shape your thinking so, so I think one of the great joys of working at SAP for me has always been that I get to work with really, really smart people in all, in, in all different dimensions of smartness. You know, so, some people are very, very uh, good at the engineering side of what we do, understanding how you architect systems, understanding how you, you put data sets and data models together. And others are very, very good at understanding what a customer is trying to get done and innovating around how to help that customer do something new. So there have been many, many people in my, in my life. In, in terms of mentors, the people I've looked up to have invariably been very smart, very driven, but very humble about what they do. And I think that's something that uh, one should strive for is, and, and and I think sometimes it's difficult, people find it difficult to discern the difference between confidence and arrogance. And I think if you keep that humility in mind, you can be confident about what you do. You can take what you do very, very seriously, but you don't descend into this arrogance that, that turns people away or, or kind of makes them feel devalued or debased in some way. 
And this millennial outlook that is quite pervasive in tech in general, I think, you know, puts a premium on talent and and that kind of thing. Have you found that uh, there's sometimes an imbalance in modern day tech professionals in terms of how far talent on its own and ability on its own can take you without, say, some of the softer things, the softer skills that you, you, you might have gleaned and just mentioned? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things one one needs to think about. Talent doesn't necessarily go hand in glove with wisdom. And often that wisdom only comes with, you know, bumping your head a few times and learning what works and what doesn't work. So I think one of the things we strive to do inside SAP is we're very driven to develop talent as an organization. At the end of the day, we're an IP-driven organization. Without our people, we're nothing. So, So it's all about constantly developing this pipeline of people inside the organization and striking a balance between the sort of young and talented and vigorous and, you know, guys who want to change the world and at the same time ensuring that the organization isn't put at risk by some of the things we might otherwise do. So finding that balance is is really, really important. And I think what's interesting, if you look in SAP now globally, we're we're over 80,000 people worldwide. Uh, and if you look at uh, some of the appointments we've made at the board level of SAP globally, we have some very young folks in there that you wouldn't historically associate with those kind of positions, like our CIO, for example, who's uh, in his mid, uh, mid-30s. You wouldn't normally see that in an organization of our size, but that's kind of how we, how we roll. And so let's step further into, into this uh, basement of your past and talk about what sort of talents were apparent like, what were your most obvious talents as a child, as, you know, at high school going age as you were about to matriculate? I believe you went to high school in Zimbabwe. Is that right? So I guess if you'd asked my teachers that, they would have said you know, the, the most likely to wind up on a, in a train smash somewhere. I wasn't a very disciplined uh, pupil at school. I was, I was probably a bit of a problem for many of my, my teachers. But I think uh, I've always been curious about things, how things uh, work and, and why they work. I read quite broadly. I think if you were to characterize me uh, in this organization, it would be fair to say I'm much more of a generalist looking at the kind of end-to-end perspective and trying to be a bit creative about that than I am a specialist who who goes very deep into, for example, finance or whatever it might be. And that has served me well because I think in the world, world we're moving into where it's about synthesizing different technologies it's about bringing networks together it's about building platforms and driving collaboration that requires a, a quite a broad perspective and i think that uh, that has served me well i do get professorial if that's even a word professorial vibes from you is that have you <laughs> well he's nodding <laughs> he's nodding approvingly no i'm kidding he uh, uh yeah but i do get that from you is the ability to sort of uh, bring people on board or unpack ideas simply in a way people can understand is that a skill you've acquired or is that something you've always had i don't know if i've always had it but it's certainly something that i try and work on because we in in our industry we can make things very very complicated and the problem with that is they're going to wind up being used and bought by people who don't necessarily want to understand that complexity so i think that is something that i i focus on a lot is how do i make it understandable and digestible for people uh, in the business side of the fence, even though we're ultimately selling a technology-related uh, solution. 
And we're going to get back to some of these solutions in more technical detail a little later on. I hope I keep up. Nonetheless, your seven-year-old self, okay, um, thinking back to what, the first or second grade, what would the seven-year-old version of yourself make of the career you've so far had in this industry? Well, I think the seven-year-old me, you know, wanted to be the normal fireman or train driver or whatever. So he might be a little surprised, but I think he'd be quite happy with the way my um, my career has turned out. I've had a heck of a lot of fun, uh, a lot of it with SAP because I have been here quite a while. I learn something new every day. That's another thing that's important for me is if you can go home at the end of every day and just reflect and think, what did I learn today? And you learned something new, no matter how small or big it might be. That, I think, is, is a good thing to do yeah, you know, for anybody. Is there a memory from that time in your life, or perhaps even when you were younger, that you'd consider uh, formative to you know, the man you are sitting in this chair right now? Yeah, I, I think I grew up in a, in a world that was a lot less maybe dangerous than our world today. So as a kid, growing up, uh, as I did at the, uh, right on the edge of, of uh, Harare, we, were, we would roam through the bush and you know, come home after dark and you know, have sort of boyhood adventures that kids today probably only read about in books. Uh, and I think that freedom uh, and that ability to kind of take care of, of ourselves as kids, you know, to take the responsibility of, of heading off into the bush and catching snakes and you know, shooting birds with catties and all the stuff we did, uh, kind of molds the, the person that I am today. For, for starters, I love the bush still. Thinking back, what do you think the expectations were of that little boy, you know, based on the people around him? So, say, your parents or siblings. I think, and that's the big change in the world, of course, today. Is, you know, my, my father was um, born in the early 1900s and, and very much of a mindset that you went and, and studied, you became a chartered accountant, and you worked for an organization for the rest of your life. He worked for the same bank for 45 years. That's very, very different to the world I've uh, worked in. So I think that would be the biggest difference between the advice I was given and how things have actually panned out. That said, I mean, you've, you've been at um, SAP for over two decades. What do you attest staying on as long as you have to? So a lot of people say to me, two decades at SAP, are you nuts? How can you stay at one company for that long a period of time? The important thing is for me, I haven't done the same job for longer than two years inside SAP. So I've had a, a wide exposure to many different facets of this company. Um, I can't say all of them have been equally enjoyable, but I've learned something in every one of those um, roles that I've played in the organization. So it's been very varied, and that suits my style. I've, I've learned a lot about m many different parts of our business. Uh, and as I say, working with interesting people and working with a company that spends as much as it does on R&D, there is always something new. There's always something novel at SAP, and that really does keep me engaged. And so let's, you know, let, let's like break down the business now. I, I need you to explain to the, your seven-year-old self what it is SAP does. Okay. <laughs> let's put those professorial, uh, professorial talents to, to, um, to the test here. What does SAP do? So what SAP does, and I think it's very nicely encapsulated in our vision and our mission, we want to help the world run better and we want to improve people's lives. 
And the way we want to get that done through our, is our mission of helping organizations to run better. Now, what does that mean? Uh, running better can mean many things to many people, and we can actually deliver on many different fronts. It may mean that you run a business process faster and using less resources. It may mean that you have the information at your fingertips that allows you to get deep insights into what is happening both within your company and in the world in which your company operates. It may mean that you're using technology, like, for example, a, a mobile phone, to deliver a cool new customer or employee experience. It might mean that you've got a novel idea for a brand new business model that's based on the use of information that allows you to change the way your industry actually hangs together and, and get some kind of competitive advantage. So difficult to boil it down to, to one thing, but if I had to boil it down to one thing, I would say it is about taking the many forms of data that exist out there in the world and turning that into insights that people can act on to deliver some kind of valuable outcome. Let me in on the, on the psyche of SAP, the startup, because I think you've been here long enough to have observed, you know, you go from really this crazy upstart with weird and wonderful ideas about how to make things better and work better to really an authority on the subject globally. Tell me about that. Talk about the transition from one to the other and what that's looked like in terms of, you know, growing the business, uh, the change of uh, culture, um, keeping up with all the technological innovations to be able to deliver on that mandate as, you know, over time, uh, different things. I, I mean, something as basic as delivering a tub of ice cream to your seven-year-old self uh, when you're much younger. I, I mean, the, 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 the scientific... The business science of being able to deliver on the promise of ice cream on Fridays, you know, is very different to doing that in, in 2016. So talk, talk me through startup to major corporate. <laughs> so I think, I think it's actually very interesting. It's not something we stop and reflect on very much. But we, when I joined SAP 22-odd uh, years ago, we were still very much, uh, I would say, a German organization that was starting to grow a global footprint. Uh, we, and, and what that implies is that we were still, you know, in, in, in the regions, and I, I can only sort of really talk from Africa because that's where I was at that time, we had, a, we had a very high degree of autonomy. There was not necessarily a, a universal culture at SAP. There certainly wasn't a, a notion of universal um, disciplines and processes and shared services so i would i would characterize it maybe back in those days as very fast growth probably a little bit chaotic and certainly not um a great deal of of harmonization across the organization but but with all the excitement that came with being as it it wasn't in fact a startup because we started back in 1972 but in the go-go years of, of the uh, business process reengineering movement and the Y2K movement, we literally exploded onto the global stage. So very, very exciting time to be with the company. Subsequent to that, uh, as, as we became a true, uh, true multinational, there was obviously the need across the organization to start bringing more discipline into the organization to start looking at w what functions within the business should be uh, moved into shared services centers so we could operate at scale as efficiently as possible. So things like HR and finance and procurement started to move in that direction. 
And perhaps we got a little bit comfortable in the early 2000s because we were and still are the market leader. And when you're the market leader, you can you can get a little bit comfortable. You can start to think that tomorrow is just a linear projection of today. Uh, and then what happened was around about the 2010 time frame, I think it was, 2008, 2010, we had a leadership change at the top of uh, SAP. And they understood very clearly that uh, the future we were heading into is looking very different from the past we'd come from. And there was a, a big... Uh, change and a drive to make SAP act more like a startup uh, to to make make sure that we stayed relevant in this digital economy that we're starting to build now on the back of the internet uh, as, as probably the major inflection point and uh, you know thinking about it we've got, we've come full circle from from startup into multinational and now we're behaving much more like a startup again we're we're driving innovative projects we are breaking new ground uh, out there in the industry. Arguably, the, the most important facet of what we're doing right now is uh, the in-memory compute platform that we have because this allows companies to deal with very large, very high-speed uh, data sets in a way that wasn't possible in the past when we, when we only relied on, on disk-based uh, systems. So it's, uh, And then at the same time, we have changed our model to not try and do everything ourselves, which historically is where we came from. You know, If it wasn't in SAP's ERP code, it wasn't real software kind of thing, if you go back to the 90s. But today, we're a very open, we're an open platform and we're a very open ecosystem. And that's cool in Africa, and we can come back to that in a moment. I'll explain why. Okay, and uh, you know, I'm going to ask you know perhaps a, a difficult question. Um, SAP uh, has a, a reputation for being super popular with the C-suite, and perhaps less so the further down you go in in organizations. Why why do you think that might be the case? I think there's a couple of reasons for it. Uh, for the, the, it's popular in the C-suite because the SAP system actually becomes your policy or your strategy instrument. So if you in the C-suite are saying this business needs to behave in a certain way, those policies, those procedures get entrenched in the software and you know that it's happening the way it should be, generally speaking. That's maybe not so popular further down in the organization because uh, people sometimes want to go outside of policy to get things done. That's the one thing. And the second thing I would say, particularly going back a few years, we weren't uh, our software wasn't the easiest software to use uh, you you had to kind of go through 17 menu steps to get to a transaction and that really wasn't cool for for the people who used the software i, th I think you know in that vein it's it's fair to say that sap's focus was on engineering this really f highly highly functional very well put together piece of software and the concern was around that and not so much the user experience and that's where you've seen a massive shift in the last few years from SAP we've we put a massive amount of effort into the ergonomics of of the user experience and why that's important is because increasingly you're opening your business systems up to your customers you're not going to reach them for training you're not going to want them, you know, wondering what they've got to do next and navigate an, a menu path. You have to give them that kind of Apple or Google-like experience on the front end of your business process. And that's really where we're very heavily focused today. And so sort of as a percentage of uh, the, the operations at uh, SAP, 
what percentage would you say is typic- is like stereotypically tech and what part of it is perhaps stereotypically consulting? So I, I would say it's fair to say that at, at, our, at our heart, we're a tech company. We're, we're about saying what technologies are out there that can be applied to solving life's problems, whether that's for a business or a user or, a health, you know, in the healthcare space or whatever. So that, that, so that is really the kernel of SAP. But that kernel means nothing if you can't apply it to a problem. And that's where, to, to use your, your word, the sort of MBA thinking comes into play. So the first thing to, to think about with SAP is part of our secret source is our industry go-to-market model. We have now for quite some time, well over a decade, understood that every industry is unique. And even within a, an industry, you find further u- uh, uniquenesses, So, if, the, if there's such a word as that. But if you took, for example, the retail industry, fashion retailing is very different to grocery retailing, is very different to DIY retailing. So, so we have to have a platform that enables us to serve those different uh, industries and importantly, we have to have people who understand what makes a fashion uh, retailer different to a grocery retailer. And even within fashion, how you treat replenishable goods like you know underwear and socks versus the high fashion items. So we, we employ a lot of people who get that, who come out of that industry and understand how to bridge the gap between technology and what that industry needs to get done. That's the first piece. The second piece is no business should be putting technology in if it's not going to deliver value. And that value can come either from saving cost in the business or opening up new channels to market, new opportunities to to create customer value. And there we have a cohort of people that we call value engineers. And these really are, these are are folks who understand deeply how um, the value drivers of a business work and eventually tree up into the the P&L and the balance sheet. And they work with our customers to do things like benchmarking. You know, so in this customer, how many people does it have in the HR department serving how many folks in the business overall? And how does that stack up against its peers? And are there opportunities, you know, to to, to drive maybe more self-service in the business that reduces the size of the HR overhead in, in the company? So that's the kind of conversations that they will have. And then I, I think the other very important piece is the is the architect. So one way to think about a, a company like SAP is to is to use the analog of the motor car. If you think about driving a car today, you don't pay quite so much attention to the following distance to the car in front of you or the speed at which you go into the corner or the speed at which you're driving in the rain. And the reason you don't do that is because there's so many embedded systems in the car today that take care of traction control and you know the G-forces when you're cornering versus the braking of the individual um, uh, wheels on the car and ABS and all of that sort of stuff. I'm guessing he drives German. <coughs> I do. <laughs> I thought you might. No, no, no. Firstly, I know lots of other car brands have all the things he mentioned. Before you send me emails... <laughs> yeah, I do drive a German car, and according to my wife, much too fast. <laughs> okay, sorry, I interrupt. Uh, carry yeah. on, please. That's fine. So, 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 so essentially what that car manufacturer has done, okay, has that they have gone out there and they've looked at all these systems. When you open the bonnet and you look under the hood of your Merck or your Toyota or your Nissan or your BMW or your Porsche or whatever it is. I love how he's being equal opportunity now. <laughs> okay. 
You're going to find you're going to find in there engine control units that may come from Bosch. Uh, you're going to find uh, stuff that might come from ABB or wherever. And the car manufacturer's job is to really look at the best tech that's out there and put it all together, engineer it into a solution that makes driving a safe, comfortable, and in my case, fast experience. That's what we're doing as SAP. We're looking out there and we're saying, what are all of these technologies that are out there? In-memory computing, cloud computing, cybersecurity, mobile technologies, a blockchain. And how do we pull that all together to make running a business or a government or a city or whatever it is a safe, secure, enjoyable experience? That's, that's what we do. That is the most eloquent, uh, very succinct ways of explaining, uh, quite simply, what SAB does. And um, I wonder if, in your position, you ever play favorites with which parts of that aspect, which parts of the engineering you you kind of favor at the moment. Is it is it cybersecurity? Is it cloud computing? Is it more, you know, you know, rollout, financial, you know, management? What what is it for you? So I, I think for me uh, right now. And I think this is going to endure for quite some time. The, the, pro- probably the most exciting area is, is the area of analytics because that is where you start to make the data mean something. This is where you start to surface the insights that tell you something that you maybe didn't know before about your business. And for us as SAP, it's really exciting because one thing we know is this. Our human brains have not evolved to the point yet where they can hold more than five or six facts in our working memory uh, and synthesize those into meaning. The minute you go over five or six facts, the old brain lets go and and you can't make sense of things. In the Industrial Revolution, steam power and and, uh, electrical power allowed us to augment our physical capacity to get things done. In this era, this digital revolution, Machine learning, artificial intelligence, and algorithms of other, of other types are going to augment our mental capacity to get things done. So we'll be able to sift through, and indeed we already can do this, sift through massive amounts of data and find patterns and meaning that you and I would never be able to get done in a lifetime in seconds. And, and that's really, really exciting. Let me be old-fashioned and ask you what might get lost in the fire as all, the, all of that happens. The human touch. I think uh, something that uh, Klaus Schwab said earlier this year at the World Economic Forum in Davos, he said we've never lived at a time of greater promise or greater peril. And the promise is that if we use technology wisely, we can live much more lightly on this planet. And and here's why I think that's important, just to put it in our context in Africa. We're, today in Africa, we're about 1.1, 1.2 billion people and uh, about 16% of the world's population, but only around 3% of global GDP. So the implication there is we've got lots and lots of people living in Africa in poverty with a less than promising outlook for their lives. Track forward to 2050, and because we have 19 of the UN's 21 high-fertility countries in Africa, we're going to be the fastest-growing populace on the planet uh, for quite some time to come. So by 2050, we'll have gone to 2.5 billion people. We'll more than double on this continent. Now, think about you have to think about the implications of that. That's more than double the, same, the number of people in the same piece of real estate 
and a piece of real estate which is already suffering from things like climate change, soil degradation, water shortages, pollution, and so forth. We have to find ways to use data and connectivity and the ingenuity of our, of our IP applied through systems to live better on Africa, to farm with a greater degree of precision so that we get more yield per square meter with less damaging inputs in terms of pesticides and stuff like that. And that's the promise of, of, of IT. The peril comes in leaving people behind because in, in that same World Economic Forum this year, they spoke about the fact that over the next couple of years, I think it was to 2020, we're going to lose about 7.1 million of today's jobs. They will be replaced by new jobs, but those new jobs will be heavily contingent on, on the STEM skills. Okay? And if we don't, again, use, use uh, technology to educate people and leverage it so that we can bring people up to speed, we could leave a whole cohort of humanity behind uh, and widen the, the, the gap between the haves and the haves-nots. And that would be really, really sad. So you know, what we're doing, a lot of the work we're doing is about saying, how can we take this tech and bring it down to the rural farmer or to the rural healthcare worker so that they can make a difference uh, on this planet. Wow. I imagine one of the, the most uh, profound successes of SAP, to my own mind, is is the extent to which uh, the organization or the company has been able to, to leverage partnerships and, and I think in many ways disrupt the status quo in terms of training and education and, and and where you go to try to get that, you know, and, and then work that into a business model that's made it very profitable for the company. Yeah. Now, now speak to some of these things. Um, and I mean, we're observing now a trend towards um, all this virtual education and the democratization of education in general because of the internet. Um, how has that how has how have you seen SAP sort of lead the way in that regard, and what has this wholesale move and the, you know what what does it represent in terms of potential disruption maybe? So I think firstly just to to kind of maybe reflect on on where we are today and where we've come from. One of the things we're really proud of at SAP is the fact that many many indigenous companies and and this is not just true in africa but it's it's uh, it's equally true in other regions of the world we, we've been able to help many indigenous it entrepreneurs to build really good businesses on the back of sap so implementing sap writing software that adds to to what we already uh, provide as a part of a package solution and i think today there's somewhere around 3000 consultants uh, across the the continent of Africa, who make a good quality living out of consulting in and around the SAP ecosystem, um, and, uh, and you know, latterly we've extended that from simply doing systems integration work to also helping these uh, smaller organisations become value-added resellers. So again, they can expand their businesses, add add value to their customers, capture some of that value themselves, and in the process help us to capture some of that value as well. So. Can I just press pause on that? Because let's unpack that. That That is quite a feat. I mean, you say it really <laughs> casually. But I mean, you, to, to, you know, for a tech company to have achieved that level of, of influence and to coordinate and maintain, uh, you know, the standards of, of say, excellence and, and, and integrity within 
you know, the industry and certainly the respect of, of, of corporations around the world, that takes some doing. Like, how do you go about doing that? Like, you, you were probably here for, for a lot of that studying, studying up. Like, help me understand how, uh, who, how that thinking developed and, and, and came together. So I think, uh, and, I, and I can't claim any great share in this, but I think SAP at its, um, its most senior leadership levels has always uh, had people on board who take the time to understand where the world is going and are smart enough to kind of think about what do we need to do now to be in the right place in two to three years' time. So our strategic planning process has always struck me as one that is really, really uh, prescient in terms of where the market's going. And, and strikes a balance between being too early to, to, to an idea uh, and too late to an idea. We are, to be honest, we're not always the, f- the, the, the first to market with an idea. But when we understand whether that idea has legs... Good luck to anybody else who <laughs> tries to stick around. We move, we move really fast and, and uh, generally we wind up being very, very successful. One area where we have been... Uh, very fast to market. In fact, we lead the market probably by four to five years today is in the notion of in-memory computing where our SAP HANA platform is kind of streets ahead of anybody else at the moment and and is profoundly changing what we're able to do for and with our customers and our partners. But uh, coming back to sort of how do you get it done, I think it, it all comes down to having the right people and the right culture. Uh, and that's something, again, wh- one of the reasons I've stayed at SAP is I've always enjoyed the culture here. It's not we, – we're a highly competitive and results-driven organization. But at the same time, we have a very strong focus on the people of the organization. In simple things, you know, if you unpack the benefits that we get as employees in this organization around, you know, medical aid top-ups and stuff like that and special insurance that covers the gaps that – medical aid do those things are important you know and we often don't think about them but they all go towards making a really uh, great culture and the wellness day that's happening downstairs from where we're sitting right now is just another example of the kind of things the company does to try and make sure that our people who are working really hard and often under very stressful conditions are looked after and so again now back to the to what you were mentioning earlier this this way that you're able to almost create a, a collaborative environment with people who ex- essentially pay you a very good money to deliver on stuff yeah. <laughs> and then mine them for these amazing ideas and then, you know, package things and take them to market and make money for everybody. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, it just blows my mind to, to you know, the, 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 the sort of approach and the, the systemic uh, uh, ability that those, your company seems to have in, in creating partnerships at a high level, you know, at a very high level, uh, that that basically benefit everybody. Yeah, and I think that's crucial. You know, if you if you look at the SAP HANA platform that I, I talked about just now, one of the reasons that platform is where it is is because we worked very very closely with Intel to understand the architecture of their chipset and where they were taking that architecture, and ditto, you know, with IBM around their power chip series. And and when you have that very close collaboration with those kind of organisations, you get insights that allow you to build something new, build something exciting. And we've always had this very strong focus on an ecosystem. I, I think if you track back into uh, SAP's history in the, in the early 90s when we literally exploded onto the global stage, 
the reason we were able to do that was because we partnered. We we understood that our uh, back in those days that our core competence was to build the best software in those days ERP that the world had ever seen. Highly functional, very robust, very scalable, and that we would need partners to go and implement it in in the uh, customers that, that chose to use that software. And, and we couldn't do both. So we had a very strong partnering ecosystem. And a lot of where we are today is the continued outgrowth of that ecosystem. And so, you know, back to part of the question I asked earlier, uh, you know, with the democratization of brought about by the, by, by the internet, um, what potential, if any, is there for disruption to a model where SAB seems to have such a, uh, uh, I don't want to call it a monopoly, but certainly a monopoly on, the, you know, on, on training people on this, on, on the software you guys put out and, and its ability to, to, to deliver value. So I think uh, disruption is is an interesting concept because you you've got to continually almost uh, I think it was Andy Grove from Intel who caused who, who coined that phrase about being only the paranoid survive, and I would say we are we, we're pretty paranoid about making sure that we we are always scouting ahead of us, looking at what trends are emerging, not not just tech trends. You have to look at societal trends as well. So. For example, if you take the notion of the sharing economy, which is largely being driven by the millennial generation and which has been capitalized on by the likes of Airbnb and Uber, that says something to us about where the world is going. And it says something to us about the fact that the cloud is where a lot of that collaboration and sharing happens. And therefore, we have to be boots and all in the cloud environment. And and, and our strategy is shaped around the cloud and in memory computing. So we're always scouting ahead, um, looking for where these new threats and opportunities will emerge, and then making sure that we're positioned to, to capitalize on them or counter them as the case may be. Again, it's very, very difficult to do that on your own. You have to be partnering. So, you know, we partner with some of the, the best organizations in the world today, uh, both customers and uh, ecosystem partners, to get that done. We're taking a short break to let you know that GoDaddy makes registering domain names fast, simple, and affordable. GoDaddy is the world's largest domain registrar and is trusted by over 13 million customers around the globe. Now, they provide everything you need to get your business set up online, including award-winning 24-7 support. Now, to save 30% on a new domain name or to use any of their other services, go to trygodaddy.com forward slash African Tech. That's trygodaddy.com forward slash African tech to save 30%. And now back to the conversation. And so in your mind, I'm going to ask a very unfair question. What if anything, if you guys fail to deliver on what you're talking about in terms of keeping up with things and, and remaining relevant, what in your mind's eye could disrupt the business of SAP as we currently know it? Completely disrupt it to the point where we're, we're in, you know, MBA classes are, are looking at case studies and, um, you know, and it, it, this, it, this is almost a forcing you to be humble to the nth, but, to the nth, but um, give it a stab if you can. Yeah, look, I think, I think the obvious thing for any commercial uh, software company like ourselves, and, and I mean, all, all of the others would be in the same boat, is the notion of open source software, uh, you know, theoretically open source software could be a great uh, thorn in our side. But with the reality that we see in the world is that 
open source, whilst it brings uh, great advantages in terms of innovation, also exposes organizations to quite a high degree of risk and difficulty sometimes in getting things done and, and, and uh, to use the, the old term, having a, a throat to choke when things go pear-shaped. So we're very, very involved in the open source community. We've donated quite a lot of our thinking and our IP into the open source community. And equally, we embody some of those technologies in our, in our platform. Uh, so just to, to, to give you a, 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 an example that's very, very current, the use of Hadoop to build uh, big data lakes and the, and the Spark framework brings quite a lot of value to organizations. But we add to that by making sure that you can, we can integrate our HANA platform very, very closely with Hadoop so that we can bring the performance that InMemory offers to the scalability that, that uh, Hadoop offers today. So it, it's difficult to say is there any one thing um, I think that you know the the threat always is that if you stop offering value to your customers, if the minute they see that what you're doing is not delivering some value to them, then then you have some very serious issues. Does the bad rap that um, proprietary software companies get from the you know the open source community uh, is is any of it deserved? And 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 what do you think they get wrong more often than not about? you know, companies like yours? I think the the use of the term proprietary because proprietary implies that something is closed um, and that you uh, you have great difficulty in perhaps integrating to it and interfacing it to it. If you look at SAP today, we are inherently standards-driven at every single level of our stack. Um, and our value, our value comes from understanding uh, how to use those standards to best effect, how to bring additional value to them with the applications and the analytical tools and the, the processing capabilities that we have. And so you made reference to things you're particularly excited about in, in terms of your role here on the continent, uh, you know, your role here at SAP is in terms of the continent. Uh, what are you most excited about? Coming back to that point that you, 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 I think you started on and what's, what's getting up in the morning going, let's just, let's just go get it, man. <laughs> Lots. But I think if I was to pick out a couple that resonate really, really strongly in Africa, it's our ability to start building more inclusive economies and more inclusive value chains. Let me give you an example. We will we'll shortly be bringing to, to the market, in terms of what we call generally available, uh, general availability, a product that will allow us to enable the very small-scale farmer to participate in the, val the agricultural value chain. If you go to a country like uh, Uganda, uh, around about 80% of all the jobs that are done in Uganda are done in agriculture, but it's only about 23% of GDP. So that tells you straight away there's lots of very, very, very small-scale farmers who are subsisting today. Now, this solution of ours will allow that small-scale farmer to understand how to farm better so they can produce more. More importantly, it will understand, it will help them to understand the best price that they can achieve for their product and when to, when to sell it and where to sell it. So they'll capture more of the value that today they're often not seeing. You know, they're selling their stuff to to a co-op and then to a middleman and someone else is taking all the value this allows us to, to to turn that around but at the same time by bringing that whole agricultural value chain together we also provide value to the downstream players the commodity buyers and the consumer products manufacturers because now 
if you think about you and me drinking coffee, drinking cocoa, whatever, eating chocolate, we're more and more interested in understanding where did that cocoa bean come from? Where did that coffee bean come from? Was it grown in, in, in fair trade conditions? Was there slave labor involved? What kind of pesticides were used on that product? By helping the inclusive, you know, the small-scale farmer, we're actually helping everybody in the value chain because we're capturing the data at source. Where was it grown? How was it grown? Who grew it? When did they grow it? And we can capture that all the way through through the value chain. So, so what that talks to you, and, and something we're heavily invested in as an organization, is the notion of business networks, where you bring together everybody who has some role to play in getting that service delivered or getting that product onto the shelf where you and I, you and I buy it. That's turning on its head um, a stereotype I have toward, you know, regarding SAP, this idea that um, unless you're an enterprise of a certain size, uh, you know, if you're not hitting certain, <laughs> you know, you know, uh, metrics in terms of revenue, like it's not even, doesn't even make sense to approach uh, SAP to, to explore solutions or, or partner in any shape or form. Is that, is that a misguided notion? It is, but it's, it's also very interesting to know how long perceptions linger. Okay, we created that perception because in the early days of SAP, we very clearly pursued the large organizations. You know, we grew our organization on the back of multinationals who were expanding. So, you know, Bayer, BASF, Coca-Cola, uh, Daimler Chrysler, BMW, all these big organizations that have expanded globally were our first customers. So we created the perception that we're for, we're for very large businesses as you, as you ha hold in your own mind. The reality is very different. If you look numerically at our customer base, over 80% are SMEs. So on the African continent... No, seriously? Seri seriously. On the African continent today, we have over 1,300 companies, customers using SAP. Most of those are pretty small organizations because you know once you get outside of South Africa, you very quickly go from having large organizations like Sassel or SAB Miller or Anglo-American or Telcom or Standard Bank into much, much smaller organizations. And those are the guys that are using our software to grow their small businesses, be competitive, and take on the big guys in a way that they might not have been able to do if we hadn't enabled them. So we have a, a, a burgeoning startup scene across the continent. Yep. Who do you want to have conversations with? Uh, who listening now do you hope will give you guys a shout and say, listen, this is what we're working on. How could we add value in your ecosystem? How could we leverage your scale and, and relationships and access to markets in order to roll out the solution? So, so let me go a little bit beyond just the startup program. F firstly, let me say to, to any person out there who is contemplating whether they should pursue a career in IT and specifically with SAP, go and have a look at www.opensap.com. That is our uh, massively uh, online open course platform, and there's lots of content in there where people can uh, get uh, a view of different aspects of SAP. Like a MOOC. It's a MOOC. It is a MOOC. It is a MOOC. Definitely a MOOC. So go and have a look at that. Um, that's the first thing I would say to individuals. Go and do that because you'll learn a hell of a lot. Then if you already have an idea about how you might be able to get data from different places and things. And if you could bring that data together and marry it and process it really fast and expose it to the outside world, 
on a mobile application with some kind of maybe fancy algorithm that turns it into real value, we want to be talking to you because our SAP startup program is all about taking organizations who have an idea around data and connectivity uh, that they want to bring to the platform. We will support them. We will give them access to the platform. Uh, and they basically don't have to put their hands in their pockets for anything until they're ready to go commercial. Um, I had a conversation with Stephen Bacala, uh, Barclays Africa, moving over to MTN uh, Group. And uh, he reckons, you know, the, the likelihood of, of big scale players like, uh, you know, the major banks, like the, the, the mobile telcos, not unlike, you know, SAP, are unlikely to be disrupted entirely, if, if ever. Um, because of the this profound advantage they have in terms of access to market and the scale they provide, and and in his mind, uh, no, and not to his mind. So that's that was his thought, and uh, to my mind, I'm increasingly beginning to feel as though if you do have an idea uh, worthy uh, of you know market a uh, market worthy idea, really, uh, you you need to brush up on your your, your partnership skills and, and start to make the relationships with with players who can actually help you get to the markets and, 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 and scale quickly enough to, to make a serious go of it. What, what do you make of that thinking or, you know, that deductive reasoning based on what I, I learned from Stephen? No, I think, I think there's a lot of merit to that. I mean, we have seen organizations disappear. Um, one, of the, one of the pieces of, of uh, sort of provocative information I use is the fact that since the turn of the century, so since 2000, uh, 52% of the incumbents that were on the Fortune 500 list then are no longer there today. Now, they may not have disappeared entirely, but they've certainly slid off the Fortune 500. And um, they, but some have disappeared. I think the issue is that you have to constantly think about who's chowing away at my value chain. So if you're in banking today, the payments industry, lots and lots of fintechs in there. You've got crowdfunding that's you know, eating away a little bit at the at the lending aspect of banks. So you've got to look at those organizations and understand where, if they were to able to scale, where would they disrupt you? And, and, and how would you respond? And, of course, if you're a startup in that space, um, you know, putting your head in the sand and, and, and trying to workshop a solution and thinking – you know, you you know, you inherently have the, what it takes to disrupt an incumbent. Is also not an entirely uh, constructive way to think necessarily. Maybe not, but I think it's always good to have a big, hairy, audacious goals because that is where the world gets disrupted. So you know, the, the guys who came up with the Uber idea and the Airbnb idea, and you know, Steve Jobs is a, is great. You know, the ideas he came up with around iTunes and the App Store have completely disrupted um, uh, businesses and bought value to our lives so but there's a lot to be said for a startup in the african context i think there's a lot of value to startups working with an organization like sap because if they genuinely have a good idea hey we can scale that for them on a global basis you know we have about we have uh, around 76 percent of all the business that gets done in the world gets done through sap the supported business processes so we have a really really big footprint that these uh, smaller organizations can leverage to drive disruption. Certainly learned a lot uh, uh, chatting with you today, and we're, it's all downhill from here. I'm sure you'll be happy to know. Downhill in which direction? <laughs> oh, okay, we went downstairs earlier. <laughs> now it's sort of going downhill. <laughs> I suppose, yeah, I'm just taking you down, down, down somewhere. But it's all good places, clearly. 
I'd, I'd be dating myself if I remember an old status quo song that went down, 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 something like that. Uh, well, there's a more modern one actually by by uh, an artist out there goes down, down, down. Well, I don't know. Anyway, so um, a couple of uh, quick fire questions. Um, uh, a guilty pleasure? Cooking. Actually, Why is that a guilty pleasure? I was going to say it's not a guilty pleasure. But when I make my uh, beurre blanc sauce with about two kilograms of butter, that's a guilty pleasure. Okay, that is a certified crime as far as I'm concerned. But please have me over. Okay. <laughs> when that happens. Um, is there a place in the world you haven't visited yet that you're dying to, to visit? Yes, Patagonia. Where's that? Bottom end of South America. Oh, yeah. Strange. That name, it, uh, well, the way it, you know, it rolls off the tongue, I imagine perhaps somewhere Eastern or something, or like Middle Eastern. Now, I read Bruce Chatwin's book. He, he uh, voyaged through Patagonia, I think it was in the late 70s, uh, you know, just kind of hitchhiked his way around. It's a fascinating read and a wonderful place. Okay, and uh, a book you've read that you, by the end of it you were like, why, why did I just donate you know, several hours of my, of my life to this nonsense? I, I tend not to read books like that. Uh, life's too short to waste your time on reading something that you get to the end of it and say, why did I do that? So you're the type of person to, if you like uh, 10 pages in realize this is rubbish, you, you're going to drop it. Yeah, pretty much. Decisive. Is, is that, is that um, your approach to, to life in general, to business? Uh, I think you have to be careful uh, not to waste your time on things that are not going to have a good outcome. But the, the corollary to that is you've got to also be pretty resilient and persistent because you're going to encounter all sorts of, of obstacles along the way. And you have to keep, sometimes you just have to keep plugging away. Hit the obstacle, pick yourself up, see if there's another way around it, and keep going. What is the biggest misconception uh, people have? And I mean, speak to your to the organization somewhat. I mean, uh, because you, you're obviously at the, uh, at the level you play, you obviously have access to uh, C-suite types across the continent in terms of what SAP does. What is it, what's the most uh, frequent misconception um, your contemporaries within the organization tend to have about the African, uh, uh, listen to me, treating Africa like a country, <laughs> that they have about Africa as a continent and certainly the, the, the diversity we have uh, from country to country? I think, I think firstly, it's exactly that, that the people tend to look at Africa as, as a homogenous continent and they, they don't appreciate the, the cultural nuances and differences that come across the entire African uh, continent with its couple of thousand dialects that we have. I think the second thing is that um, they fail to appreciate at a more general level the cultural differences between the Western economies of the world and the business practices and the way we get things done here. And I heard it put really beautifully the other day. Um, in, uh, in the West, you do a piece of business and out of that a friendship might grow. In Africa, you form a friendship and out of that business might grow. And that takes longer. Uh, and it takes it takes more uh, compassion and empathy and a genuine interest in the person sitting across you, uh, across the desk from you, which we maybe don't always have in our task-oriented uh, Western way of approaching things. Ah, that's quite insightful. And so, if you could banish one sport <laughs> for, for for the rest <laughs> for eternity, okay, we're gonna have some angry. Um, 
fringe sports players. Uh, about whom? I, look, look at me preempting that you're going to choose a fringe sport. No one cares about. But um, if you could banish one sport. Gee, I, I don't know. I'm going to go back to a childhood memory, seeing as that's where we started this conversation. And I went to a co-ed school, and I remember when I was probably about 12 or 13, boys playing girls at hockey, and I still wince when I think of the injuries that were inflicted on my innocent body by these female dervishes with their sticks. So maybe it would be hockey. Field hockey. Field, field hockey. Oh, the Canadians are coming for you, boy. Uh, the Canadians, let them come. Um, we're Africans. We'll take the Canadian. <laughs> uh, no, so, so that's, that's a memory that I've carried with me all through my life. Never, I don't know why they call them the fairer sex, because they certainly aren't on a field hockey field. But the other one might be boxing, you know, if you think of that. Uh, it's a bit nuts, boxing, isn't it? It is a bit nuts, bludgeoning each other. Why would you do that when you can go and uh, drink tequila with somebody? <laughs> Yeah, don't yeah, don't tell the boxer that. They'll probably, you know, knock you out, you know, quicker than you could take you could uh, down a tequila. <laughs> I I have no doubt they would. <laughs> and so final question, uh, we we are at the very end. Is there a question I haven't asked that you you perhaps wish I had? Jeez, not off the top of my not off the top of my head. Um you can think about it. Maybe maybe you know where where is SAP heading? And I think uh, one of the things I'm really really excited about uh, with this new platform we have and the ability to crunch really big uh, and complex sets of data, we're moving into some really exciting uh, work in the in the healthcare space, uh, understanding and helping researchers to analyze the human genome and, and human proteomes better and, and faster. And what that means is that we can start to deliver on the promise of, of personalized medicine. We can start to deliver... Um, much more quickly in terms of diagnosis and uh, and treatment and that's that has a profound impact on a, on a human life when you can do that we, we have one one customer who's taken the time it takes to analyze a gene from two days to 20 minutes now if you're the patient sitting on the other side of that process and you're not quite sure what the outcome is going to be two days is a long time to be sweating bullets 20 minutes has a profound impact on your life and that's very important in Africa because as you know we carry a disproportionately high disease burden so as we can bring these these types of new technology to bear on on some of the unique problems we have here I think we're going to make an even bigger difference than we already have I know I said it would be the last question but is there an aspiration that SAP doesn't have It's, it's simple it comes back to our vision you know help the world run better and improve people's lives You've got to have a big hairy goal and make a ding, as Steve Jobs said, in the universe. And that's what we intend to do. A simple answer to that question is no, clearly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Simon Coppins. Thank you for listening to African Tech Conversation.